Yes, I'm Cam Banks. I am the developer and the line manager, producer, dude, guy for Andanami's uh, Atlas Games. And my responsibility is purely to make sure that Greg's voice is upheld and put out there for the, all of you to see it and all of its fancy words and fancy pictures and fancy hard print books. So, uh, I also manage the Kickstarter, so if you had any problems with that, it's my fault. Greg, who are you? Uh, my name is Greg Stolze. I started Unknown Armies with John Tyne. Actually, Tynes started it low those years ago. Cast your minds back to the before times of 1996, I think it was. And he came to me with an idea, and I've been with it since. Um, so recently have brought out the third edition, and I'm really pleased with it. I'm Colleen Riley. I'm the editor. Um, uh, what else are we saying about ourselves? Uh, uh, that's that's good. Good stuff. What what got you involved in Unknown Armies 3, Colleen? Uh, I mean, if we go all the way back, uh, someone that Mark met on Twitter was running a game, and my Dipsomancer was one of my favorite characters I've ever played. Yeah, and and so we kicked out that kinda tradition kinda. in this version just because you liked your one, right? <laughs> <So it was. laughs> I wouldn't say they're kicked out. They're just not. They're still there. They're, you know, they're, they're in they're the grunt tank. That's what they are right now, the grunt tank. Um, this new edition of the game is one of the things I am most proud of working on uh, at Atlas so far, and, and that's kind of a high benchmark because we've done some pretty cool stuff already and the thing that really occurred to me when I was seeing it come up back into the, into the warehouse we finally had the things in our hands and looking at all the proofs and so on I said this is amazing that it has come together in this form because it already was an amazing game um, the previous editions of Unknown Armies like uh, my boss John Nephew has called them deathless art which is not something you really want to say to a designer working on the new one like if you say <laughs> So, Greg, this this game is perfect in all ways. Now make better, please. Um, I do love a challenge. So I would maybe like to talk a little bit. We've got about an hour, and I want to wrap things up at 10 minutes to 6 so that we don't run out of time, and I want people to have time to answer questions. So um, it would be good if the first half of the time we took a little bit about how we put this together and everyone's role in that. Um, and you might want to start off with just the, the genesis of this, What what happened. Uh, what happened? People kept asking me, when are we going to get more Unknown Armies material? And my answer was always, my honest answer was always, when I feel I have something so compelling to write that it will be as good as what came before. The last thing I wanted to do was just churn out material for which there was a market just to, you know, sort of go through the motions and cash a check. Which can be fine, but I, I feel that that eventually reduces people's keenness for the property if you keep diluting it. And so I wanted to produce something that was undiluted, but I didn't have the big commanding idea uh, until at some point. Some I, I don't remember if it was my idea or someone else's of, you know, well, why don't you assemble some freelancers and see if they can help you have these ideas that can bring new perspectives to it can, uh, you know, offer you approaches that they can see and you can't. And so I, we ran around and collected people and I was just, I'm very, very pleased with the team we came up with. Uh, you know, everybody pulled their weight really hard. 
Um, I had to do a, a, some amount of reworking because it's it's inevitable in a project of this nature. But yeah, I could not have written as much as I did if they had not written all the material they did. Uh, so that was part of it. Is you know I finally got someone who's like, hey. Here are new views of it. And I'm like, okay, yes, those are cool. I like them. Uh, and once I was doing that, I uh, started really trying to dig down to, okay, how do we address some of the problems that Unknown Armies has had in the past? Uh, you know, particularly the, the recurring one uh, was, this is a great thing. I have no idea what to do with it. And... Uh, this was about at the, the age, uh, about the time that Apocalypse World was uh, garnering a lot of attention. And I looked at it, and I'm, and I'm asking people, what's, what's so great about Apocalypse World? Why is it so special? And they're like, because it tells the GM how to be a GM. It tells them what to do. And I'm like, oh, so people don't just know how what to do? I, it, a story seems like a pretty obvious, straightforward thing to me who has been an avid reader and wanted to be a writer since he was in kindergarten and has a, you know, English degree with a writing major and can't watch television without saying, oh, that's the murder. He's, and they're like, it's ten minutes into the show. Yeah, but he's the only new character who they call by name. <laughs> Think about what you're going to do with all the free time I've just given you by, <laughs> by ruining procedural shows for you. So part of it was, okay, how can I help GMs construct stories the way I know how to construct stories and construct sessions uh, and get player buy-in? Uh, this was more of a problem I've seen with gaming in general is that, you know, the GM wants to run a game that's like Lord of the Rings and the players want to play a game that's like Weekend at Bernie's <laughs> and you are going to have to and if you just show up with your Weekend at Bernie's characters at the gates of Mordor no one's going to like it and so that's sort of where I, Cam, you were the one who came up with the idea of uh, collaborative yeah. character generation with setting folded in uh, and I'm like, well, we should just do that as, you know, the conspiracy board with all the strings. And I think you were originally like, that sounds awfully cumbersome. I'm like, no! It's beautiful. And I think I won that I one. will be the fall guy for all the bad decisions that ended up being good decisions, if you like. <laughs> no, I'm just, I just, I'm just trying to accurately depict events so, as uh, I recall them. Yeah, I stole that... that uh, it's one of my favorite kinds of making characters, and I stole it from the game that I wrote, um, Smallville, for Margaret Weiss Productions. Uh, it is not the same method because it's Ananamis and not a TV show about you know Clark Kent. But the important part about it, I felt, was that when you're a GM and you're not entirely sure where to even start with all the huge amount of lore and stuff that's been built up about Ananamis, and your players certainly don't, um, you want to have a way to get everyone bored on the table at the start of the game, have everyone's character have some sense of relationship to each other, but also have a relationship with the setting that you're playing in. And by setting, we mean even anything as limited as, for example, Colleen was in the playtest that we ran uh, where it was a strip mall mm -hmm. in uh, Egan, Minnesota, somewhere, I forget. In equivalent town. Somewhere yeah. in Minnesota that was a strip mall, and that was where all the action was happening, which sounds like, well... But uh, it was great because there was the abandoned blockbuster, which turned out to be a very important part of the uh, mm -hmm. equation. There was the nails place. There was the vitamin shop, which was also a head shop. 
I don't actually remember what your character did. Um, what did mine do? Because I missed a couple of the sessions. Yes, but, but whatever. There was also some There's mass one problems. in every group. <laughs> but the the thing is, it all came together at the beginning of the game because we had all made characters together at the table. That was the first session, and oh, that was the, the genesis of it. You were, that's right. You were the cop. Yeah, I was a cop. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, and building in the idea of a player defined objective. Um, something I've been looking at with games, and a lot of games are reactive, right? Um, a lot of the greatest, most popular games are reactive. You're given a mission. You're given a task you must complete. Uh, you have to keep the cultists from summoning the fiend. You have to clear out the dungeon that's static there waiting for you. And those are great, and I've had a lot of fun with them. But I wanted... I felt that Unknown Armies in particular would benefit more from cultivating the wildness of players. Uh, as I design more and more, I'm like, okay, the wildness factor is a huge headache, but it is also the killer app of gaming, uh, especially tabletop gaming. It's the one thing we do better than computer games, board games, cell phone games, card games, is have that weird thing that flies in from nowhere the character that you make up on the fly who three sessions later is the major antagonist getting the capturing those inspirations is uh you know more and more what I'm like yeah I want that and trying to uh part of of my quest for that is incorporating the objectives right at the beginning it's like okay before we decide my guy is x before we decide we're all gathered at blank, let's decide what this game is about. And and not in a reactive way of, oh, we're all on a plane together and it's full of snakes. Uh, but, like, there is something that bothers us and we have to do something about it. And that's our objective. The thing we can't stand and must change. And once you have the players defining the thing they can't stand and much must change, a lot of GMing problems where they go off in some random direction or, you know, kind of play spoiler with something that one of the other players wants to do, a lot of that gets tamped down and diminished because they've all got the sunk investment in, you know, this is what we said we were going to do, so it's pretty reasonable for the GM to expect us to do it. And if we're going to change direction, well... That's going to cost us, and in the process of costing us, it's also going to give the GM more slack and more time to adjust to the course correction. So I'm very, very happy with how objectives have turned out. Short version. Short version. <laughs> um, the other thing about objectives, which I liked, which is you, you'd like to downplay it a bit, I think, is the role I have rolling the thing to see if you can mm-hmm. do it. But um, it, it's weird because this is one of the sorts of things where the actual outcome can happen off screen. Like you, your players as protagonists tend to be the ones who the, the camera's on all the time. You know, you're playing this, the action happening. Stuff is going on behind the scenes occasionally in some games. Um, it's more likely to happen in Unknown Armies, I think, than it is some games where, like you said, the, the dungeon is static and no one's doing anything. And somehow they're sitting around a corner waiting for you to walk in there and beat them up. Um, in our game... Um, we the people who have, have uh, this sort of overall control over the current status quo are doing things constantly which annoy the hell out of you but going out to try and stop them 
isn't just about, you know, well, we do a thing and therefore our points go up. Sometimes the resolution happens uh, as a result of the thing you just did and it's, it's finished and you weren't even there, right? This is, it was a hard thing for the simplatesters to get around. They were trying to figure out, well, if we're the heroes, then how come we don't have a big showdown when the, and, and, and beat the, finish the objective? I'm like, well, uh, you had a good time in that session, right? Well, as a result of that, also over here, this thing that you wanted to have happen finishes. Mm-hmm. But, um, maybe you can talk a little bit more about the, the antagonist and uh, facilitator approach for GMs, too. Ah, okay, yeah. I, I actually uh, you know, ran into a fan who said, yeah, that blew my mind. And the idea uh, was that, uh, okay, so the problem that I've seen games run into is you will have some GMs who are sweethearts and they're, you know, running a game for their friends and trying to make their friends happy. And so there is a scaling back of conflicts. And games are not exciting, especially horror games are not exciting if you know that every conflict you enter is one that has been tailored for you to, uh, to, to overcome. So... On one end of the scale, you have the GM who is too nice. And on the other end of the scale, you have the combative GM who is not going to let your character get up and go to the grocery store for milk without it being, uh, you know, a challenge. Uh, so this extremely antagonistic, uh, you know, killer GM. And yet at the same time, both, uh, you know, the, in- the emotional investment in- invested at both poles... I'm like that's something that is that means something. How can we make this work for the game instead of against it? And so what I've recommended is that when you are a GM by yourself prepping your game, you want to be the meanest son of a bitch in town. You want to look at every character and say, "Where is the weak point on this character that I can push on hard?" What is going to make them squirm? What is going to tempt them to betray their friends? What is going to make them run in terror? What is the worst thing I can throw at that character? And you write these up on little cards, and they're like the arrows in your quiver. And then, and that's what you do when you're by yourself as GM. And then when the session starts... You put away, you take off the black hat and you put on the white hat and you become the player character's biggest fan. And you're like, how can I make this story amusing and intriguing and compelling and awesome? And how can I put these characters in places where they can show who they really are and what they're really willing to achieve and what they're really capable of? And as you do this, you pull out the arrows you've prepared before. But you're not going to launch all of them at once. You're going to use them judiciously. And some of them you're going to be just like, nope, nope, that's... You know, in the course of events, I don't need that. I can let that one stay on the back burner. But you approach it from the viewpoint of how do I make this game session fun using tools that you have built with the mindset, how do I challenge the players and the characters, uh, you know, in the best way. And so, you know, the idea that the GM is not the player's best friend and the GM is not the player's worst enemy, but that by alternating between those frames of reference, 
you can find the best ways to construct stories for characters. Uh, I think that was what the guy was like. Yes, yes, I can do this. I can look. I can change my point of view and make this work. So, some of the best uh, GM advice is the stuff that many people have already been doing, and now you're just finally writing it down and saying, "Here's what I do." And I think that's where it kind of helps to to do that in actual text, right? Because there are people who probably have done planning for their games and been total assholes to their players, and then they play the games and, "Well, I'm sorry, it's not my fault." It's the asshole GM who preferred this. Well, that's been happening in some people's games for a while, but this is the format and the and this the ritual almost. That makes it a real thing and especially uh, useful for anonymous, I think. Yeah, and there are times where you're like, okay, oh, I am ready to skewer Fred's character. I've got this all queued up. And, you know, you're like, this is it. This is the day Fred's character shrivels up like an ant under a microphone, under a magnifying glass. And Fred then comes in, and you're like, how you doing, Fred? And he's like, man, it's been a rough week. Um, <laughs> I got some really bad news about my mom. Um, and you're like, hey, you know what, Fred? I think things are going to be just fine. <laughs> Which is another thing you can't do in a computer game. <laughs> but it's good that you spell out in the book how to take things like that into account. And sometimes it's really helpful to have that actually written out. I mean, even if people know, okay, let's not maybe push really hard on the death of someone when someone's mom is dying. But the way that you clearly explain it, I think, was refreshing to a lot of people is what I've heard. You're right. That was really well written. <laughs> it was. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that was a part that I, you know, I was proud of. Um, the idea that you have to keep in mind that this is, even a horror game is a collaborative social process. And you have to have that human touch. And you have to read the table and read the room. Uh, and, you know, there are some people who are super sensitive and they probably don't gravitate towards uh, jobs like mine where you sit in a room by yourself all day. Uh, so I'm sure that, you know, their games, they did not need the advice of read the table because they were already doing that instinctively and probably can't imagine someone who can't read the table. But yeah, having the idea of, okay, I'm going to bring this up into my conscious level of checking over the players and see who's engaged and see who's kind of checked out and maybe how can I draw the checked out guy back in and how can I redirect the really uh, really engaged player to make them bring the checked out guy in uh, is, is, you know, it's part of the art of it uh, as opposed to the science of the engine. Okay, so I think it's a good time to uh, open up for some questions and things. Is there anything that's been really like stuck on your head or in your mind or your the deep burning heart as a question that you would like to present to Greg, me, or Colleen, or all three of us? Anything? Yes. How would you elevate or pitch this game to a really, really traditional game? Because I struggle with that. <laughs> before, you, before you answer completely, the one one of my favorite things about uh, being a developer for games at Atlas is I had to come up with a single sentence saying thing about what the game is, right? Because you have to find out what the game is about, and we were struggling with this because you can't really say, "Oh no, no, it's just horror." It's not actually mm -hmm. just horror. It's got a lot more going on. 
And so the thing that I came up with uh, after we had a bunch of discussion was it's a, an, an occult game about broken people who are conspiring to fix the world. And that is the beginning of what the pitch should be, but that's not the end of it. So how else would you talk about it? Uh, I'm not good at elevator pitches. I tend to go on and on. Um, Let's ask Colleen then. <laughs> I mean, the starting point of your sentence that, you know, it's on the back of all the books and stuff. Um, if you're trying to appeal to trad gamers, I would throw in a sentence or two about the actual mechanics because those, I think, do appeal to people who like a little bit more crunch. Um, you still roll dice. That still means things. It's not just a storytelling game. Um, however, I would also mention the collaborative uh, world building, and I would definitely uh, amuse the word horror as well as occult because you want people to buy into that idea. Um, if you have a concept in mind for how you want to run your specific uh, UA3 game, I would also kind of incorporate that so you can spin it so that, you know, the one that you want to run sounds the best. You know, if you want it to be more horror, then you should focus and play up that. Like, if body horror is your thing, throw that in there, too. But um, If body horror is your thing is a common thing we pass around know, the office. Yeah. But, I mean, I think Cam's uh, starting point and plus, you know, a sentence or two about the mechanics plus you know, what you think is cool about your idea, mm-hmm. hopefully then that would appeal to your more trad friends, you know? And I guess the pitch I would use is instead of trying to stop the cultists who are trying to burn down the status quo, you're the cultists who are trying to burn down the status quo. You are the ones determining the direction that change goes. You know, it's not... This is the game where the players are in charge in a way that they're not in many very popular games. Yes? I'm new to Unknown Armies with this edition. I'd heard stories about it in the past, but I didn't start uh, finding out about the third edition. I've only read book one so far, but that sold me on the idea. I picked up books two and three while I was here. I've got some players that are interested in the idea, but I don't know if they fully grasp what it's about since they haven't had the opportunity to read the books yet. Uh, are there any easily accessible medias, either easy to read books or easy to find movies or shows that would be good to give inspiration to first-time players for an Unknown Armies campaign? Maybe Twin Peaks. Um, yeah. uh, let's see, what else? Because I, you know, one of the things I, I did for this was I came up with a, a bunch of recommendations. Um... If you know the uh, the Gail Simone uh, graphic novel series Clean Room, yeah. that's pretty great. Uh, it's it's basically uh, what if scientific what if Scientology was right. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm trying to remember some of the other ones well, I recommended. Great, great yeah. also writes fiction, which is a fun part of the uh, working yeah. with someone who's also a writer, but. Uh, you've got your book, You, right? Which yes. Mm-hmm. I uh, I put out a novel in the Unknown Army setting in the second person. So it presents uh, a, a series of, well, let's be frank, disasters happening to a cranky middle-aged white man who happens to be a cultist. And and he, he has this sort of embarrassment about it. He's like, yeah, I recognize that these meetings we're conducting would look 
really, really weird to a normal person. And they look weird to me. The only reason I keep going is because it concretely works. Well, you have various uh, things available on your website yeah, that yes. people could read for free. Even Yes. Uh, let's see. What are other... Uh, there's a great Spanish movie called Intacto, but that's not the most accessible. It's it's a great film. I mean, we also but. talked about Brick and oh, yeah. um, uh, uh, Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which is on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember, man. Mm. Uh, Tim Powers' Last Call has been yeah. in Unknown Army's DNA since the first edition. Um, my my particular uh, thing that I glommed onto as an Unknown Army's uh, inspiration when working on some early stuff was um, season one of True Detective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, not season two, although you could you could easily go into that direction if you wanted to. But season one, because of its really like just acerbic kind of look at what the uh, Middle America looked like, and the, the cops were all just all. I mean, I think it's an amazing series. I think that the um, people who came onto it and liked that were often Cthulhu fans because they heard about something Cthulhu about it, but that's just like selling it completely short. I mean, it's not about that. I did have a friend who said that he's like, yeah, True Detective Season 1 is the most unknown armies media prevalent. I'm like, mm-hmm. I really see it more as a Delta Green thing. And yeah. he's like, no, yeah, because it's about their obsessions right. and it's about the damage... <laughs> their souls have taken. Yeah, it is. I would absolutely recommend that with it, the other ones that we've talked about too, but that's one, if you want to see the growth of the the change, because sometimes a movie will show you a character growth arc, maybe that will be interesting for the movie, but the series goes from, what, 10 episodes or something? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you just see it degenerate. Uh, and some characters just, it's it's they're gone, right? But others, it's like you see the potential for a character to kind of lift themselves out of something that's truly awful. So I, I always say that uh, that's a good one to go with. Yeah, I recommend Junji Ito. Uh, his his horror manga are really. I'm like this is this has to be what madness really feels like. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, Amagari, uh, an incident at Amagari Falls, uh, Uzumaki, um, Tomi. Yeah, you could you could totally do Tomi in Unknown Armies, and it would be. Oh. <laughs> you want to mess your players up a lot. Yeah, this is not the. These are not the inspirations for that guy Frank who shows up with his. He's had a bad week. Does that mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Remember that beautiful young girl who got murdered? Guess what? <laughs> Is she back? Well, part of her's back. <laughs> All right, so you had a question over here, too? What's What was your question? Um, one of the things I found most interesting in the, in the new edition... Is I think it's called the identity skill. The um, I'm a star athlete. Of course, yes. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you came up with that? Uh, that well, there you can see the Jonathan Tweed influence with the um, uh, uh, over the edge and its free form uh, rules and. Before, previously, Unknown Armies had just freeform skills where it's, you know, it could be anything, but it didn't really explain to you, okay, so you've taken whitewater raft instructor as your identity. What specifically does that mean? Um, and so I just tried to get it a little, I, I, I made it a little crunchier where it's like, okay, you've got these 
general abilities tied to what you've been through in your life. You know, things anyone can try to do. Anyone can try to talk their way out of a parking ticket. Anyone can try to take a swing at someone. Anyone can try to make an emotional connection with someone. And your identities have to uh, substitute for one of those crude abilities. So if you are a social worker, you will always be pretty good at making that emotional connection with people. And it can do a couple other things, too. Um, I wrote a, a game that's free on the internet called In Space. It's dot, 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 In Space! And it had the very, very, very freeform character design. Uh, where it's like, oh yeah, my, uh, you know, I'm gonna put three points into drug addicted hyper intelligent ape. Uh, and so it's like, uh, and I had all these amusing, uh, it's a comedy game. I had all these amusing <laughs> examples of, you know, well, you know, usually these will let you do a few things that you do over and over and over again. And then there will be like a few special Instances where it's like, oh, obviously I can do that because of my identity. And I brought that over to Unknown Armies. I mean, if there are, you're always bumping into edge cases in games where it's like, I'm not sure what skill covers making friends with an iguana. <laughs> but if you have, I'm a zookeeper. Well, now it's like, oh, of course you know how to treat an iguana right. Or I'm a veterinarian. Or I like lizards. <laughs> <laughs> so that that was what I was aiming for with that, uh, was to give people guidance to make identities, you know, really clearly applicable in a lot of instances, and then also have stuff with those weird edge cases that only come up once in a campaign. Yeah. So there are a lot of really striking uh, components to, to all the books, even some of the uh, ones that aren't out yet. One that in particular sticks in my mind is in book five, the sleepers meeting mm-hmm. like structure. My first question is, who wrote that? Because it's amazing. Second, um... That was Chad, wasn't Chad it? Under Coughley, yeah. Yeah. Chad Undercoffley, yeah. he batted it out of the park this time. His stuff has... He's been with Unknown Armies for, you know, since the beginning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, his stuff was always interesting and creative. And I feel like he's he's gotten in this one. It's like interesting and creative and consistent and tight. So... We have to occasionally tone down a little bit of florid language so people can make sense of the rules he's trying to get across. Yeah. Yeah. Not too often, though. We, no, but, nobody's perfect, Kate. One of the things I really like about Chad's writing is that he has uh, nailed a certain aspect of Undernamies, which is to uh, to have you sort of think think again and then think one more time about, wait, this is, hang on, wait, oh. And he does talk to the reader a lot, which is really cool, because that's part of the way you do things. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's been good. But that, that section, he has been sitting on that idea for a while. And so the very first thing he came up with when I said, well, you can do anything you like in this book. Now, what do you want to do? And he said, I got up with this whole thing with the sleepers. I think someone even asked for more about sleepers as a backup um, yeah, request. Yeah, someone did. And uh, he says, well, I have exactly what I want. Because uh, we didn't do it in the core book. Because there's no way you're going to put like just tons of stuff about one particular faction when you right. have many others to talk about, right? Because um, we had no one to do that. I think. Yeah. You had a backup well, the, question. The second part of it is, is more a... Uh, so 
I, now, now I know who to contact because I really, really want to turn that into like a LARP. Oh. Just like almost literally or like a fiasco play set or something. Yeah, talk to just, Chad. Just play that. Chad's your lad. Yep. Don't, don't even get into like, you know, sneaking around and, and spying people. You just go to the sleeper meetings over and over again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And then there's a oh man there's not my name is Greg it's <laughs> been 461 days since the last cast a spell yes. <laughs> hi Greg there's a there's a lot to lot to uh, work with on that yeah that's cool anyone else chance we'll see uh, Tim Turner's town without pity oh dude that's you isn't it. Probably. Okay, you you contacted me online about... Uh, Somebody else may have. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, this is back it's be- deep, deep knowledge there. It's, it's, yeah, we're we're really getting, uh, digging under the basement there. Um, so back when Archon Games was going to put out Unknown, Unknown Armies initially, uh, Tim Toner wrote up this overview of the city of Albuquerque, and it was called Albuquerque Town Without Pity. Uh, it was this little digest-sized, like, I don't know, 30 pages, 20 pages, uh, stapled pamphlet, basically. Uh, and then Archon Games imploded, and uh, Atlas, which at that time was rescuing Feng Shui from the Deadless Games implosion. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, John was like, what are we doing here, running a home for Wayward Games? We totally do that, though. <laughs> That's what we have. <laughs> And so they picked up Unknown Armies, and that got, like, sort of lost in the shuffle because it was, you know, too short and small to be profitable. Um, so, yeah, I guess I, I've, I, I've, you know, tried to contact Tim in a, you know, light, anemic way. Uh, but, yeah, I'll, I'll try some more. <laughs> That's the kind of thing we can easily put up on uh, the statusphere, for example, and yeah. Give, yeah. give Tim us a cut of it, too, if oh. he wants it. I mean, you know, not saying we should. But. <laughs> why Why would he leave money on the table? <laughs> right. but, I don't know. Maybe he doesn't like the writing that he did so many years ago. Uh, so earlier you talked uh, about getting, you know, getting new people in, and there's a lot of great like <sighs> tonal examples of... Uh, unknown army stories. When you're doing the collaborative like world building and, and, and that stuff, it, since unknown armies also has this, it has a mythology to it, it has, right? Like which can be th- there's a lot there to like right. to read into. When you have people who are not as experienced with the like let's say they get the tone, is there is there a good way to deal with people maybe feeling like they don't know enough of that to contribute to the world building or like a way to balance that anxiety where you're coming up with enough new stuff? Well, my answer to everything is always more communication, right? Um, that, that, that's what I do with my marriage. Um, and, you know, I think it can work at the gaming table, too, is that if someone has an idea where you're like, oh, this could be like an adept school or this could be like an archetype. You can, you know, introduce those ideas and, you know, or it can just be, you know, I, I was careful to include, you know, there are some people who've just got weird, one-off, psychic, occult, you know, they've just got their own thing going on, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is fine. Uh, so you can just have, you know, I've been running uh, examples of, of 
character setting generation here. Uh, you know, for people who can't, who who uh, are maybe complete newbies to it, and you know, we've had you know one guy who's like, oh yeah. Uh, this picture of a squad of badgers or a herd of badgers or whatever, that's my character. I'm like, your character can turn into a carpet of badgers? And yeah. She was really into the badgers. Um, wait, you know, which is great. And I, and I suggested that you can probably only do that when no one's looking at you. Cause I'm like, I don't want to set this thing up where, you know, you get captured on camera badgering out <laughs> and, and and it turns into this huge thing. Although, you could. I mean, the, this would be the game where it's like uh, yeah, as a GM, I'm not going to go, uh, I'm not going to bend over backwards to maintain the illusion that the world is entirely mundane. You get... You know, you go on Jerry Springer and turn into badgers, well, hey, <laughs> just warn me first, and we can have that be, you know, that's the arc, uh, that could be the arc of your session. You know, my, ob- my objective is to demonstrate to the world that magic is real, badger style. <laughs> so I find myself in a, a number of his games set in the 70s, and I want to play a ex-member of the Manson family who's trying to get into a career of making music for film. Okay. Uh, As you do. How would would one go about creating this new, I guess, score that, that, uh, you know, I kind of looked at, like, the Cinemancer, but how would, like, what kind of advice would you... Oh, so you want to have magic based on music, right? That's a good one. Um... Yeah, just bring that to me when I'm uh, when I'm being recorded. Uh, that that's fine. That's the, okay. The rules are pretty good about telling you uh, roughly about how to gauge the effect and the weight of certain kinds of yeah. minor effects and and, and significant. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you could build it around. Okay, here's what I want to be able to achieve through music, uh, and then you can figure out. Okay, what is the paradox that's at play here? Where this character is doing music wrong from the perspective of every single other person around. But to them, it's like, no, I'm not wrong. I'm the only person who's right about music, and the rest of you, uh, you you're the ones who, who've got it, who've got the wrong end of the stick. So you have to figure out a, a you know, a approach to music that touches on its universality, but upends it. Uh, and then, yeah, just price out your spells. <laughs> but the most important part is that super abstract, you know, I'm, I'm doing this universal thing wrong. But looking at cameraturgy or cinemancy, I, uh, I mean, like you were doing before, probably good starting points. Next. Who's next? Who's next? How much time we got, Cam? Well, we're at the 5.45. Oh, we're doing uh, we've five got about five more minutes of open questions. And then okay. we can Does anybody have any stupid questions? We could, we could open that up to... Yeah, you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, what? I was just kind of curious. I was wondering if there's any plans to release, um, like, adventures or campaigns for this? Because it's really hard. But that is a great... Uh, really lazy. That's a great segue into, into what we have as the status sphere, right? Because if people yeah. are going to start. Well, it, uh, there's several answers to that. One is that the game is set up to, with the assumption that you are going to want a scenario that's like a bespoke suit 
where you all work together to take the measurements of what you're interested in, and then you stitch it together with the relationships so you have something that fits you perfectly and is exactly the game you want to play. But if you look at me, you will see that I am not a bespoke suit kind of person. Uh, so, yeah. We have got campaign starter kits that uh, assorted writers are working on where it's just like, okay, you know what? You want something off the rack? Boom. Here it goes. You are a bunch of high school kids uh, who are kind of, who have kind of bonded together because you are all uh, you know, queer minorities, and it is not an easy road to hoe. And you have bound together to stick it to the man who's keeping you, uh, you know, in your separate corner of the lunchroom. Uh, or what are some of the other uh, CSKs? Uh, there's a roller derby. Yeah, one. roller derby. Which, there's a lady roller derbies in Washington D.C. Yep. who are trying to uncover the reptoids who have taken over the government. Mm-hmm. So we've got those. Um, and, you know, several other similar things. Uh, and we're opening up the Statusphere program, which is uh, what sort of uh, uh, allows people to produce their own Unknown Army supplement material. You can play in the sandbox, and you can make money doing it. There you go. Um, and none of us will edit it or do anything to it. We will just look at it and go, well... Uh, but I think that one of the things that's best about so far is we've seen some really interesting things as a take on... Uh, the UK mm-hmm. uh, is an unknown army's location. I suggestions for what to do if you're not doing it in the US. Um, there's some really terrifying things in there already, which are great for people who want to just not sleep. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. But I think the, the, the core of that program is to help people come up with ways to share what they've had as ideas for campaigns and scenarios and so on. And that's actually pretty... Uh, Pretty cool, I think. Tonight. Yes. So, uh, actually, kind of back on to that, I I haven't had a chance to check, so maybe it already exists uh, in the Statosphere uh, site. Do you already have like a character or a generic NPC section? Because as a GM, that's always one of the hardest things to pull out of the basket. Sometimes, like, oh man, I need a random bartender that is actually an avatar of the bartender. Uh, I don't want to really do too much because I have everything else going on. I want to pull this out of a hat. So it'd be a great resource. Uh, something, something I try. I, I tried to address that, and uh, you know what I suggested for uh, how you run your GMCs is you just get the shot gauge printed out. You know, none of the rest of the stuff from the character sheet, and you can you know set your minor GMC just by drawing lines on there. To show, oh well, you know, this guy's uh, hasn't seen a lot of violence and hasn't seen, but he's he's been very isolated and helpless in his life. But he, you know, to his his own self, he's true. And now you have about how well this character does on the ten most common things he's going to attempt. And if you have to add Avatar of the Bartender, oh well, I'll just scrawl that in the corner and figure that out as I go. It, you know, that's that is the seat of your pants way to do it. Book five has some random tables as well. Oh well, there you go. So that that may or may not be useful depending on how much detail you would need. So yeah, together. Oh, yeah, I did yeah. write that, didn't I? It's <laughs> like, what are you talking about, Colleen? And I'm like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, there's a thing where it has Is that book uh, four. Uh, maybe it's five. That was five. But mine's five, right? Yours is four. Yours is mine's, four. Mine's four. Yes. You got you came first. Yep. There might. I mean. 
Uh, but yes, it has a bunch of you know. Okay, here's what a police officer. You know, here's here's a police officer character. Here's a low level crook. Here's uh, someone who's more of a career mobbed up crook. Uh, but then you also have the opportunity to stick on all these little weird, the weird twist, you know, the sting at the end. So it's like, this is a police officer who is unusually young, or no, is unusually old for the, for, for their job. Or, you know, this is a career criminal who also has terrible insomnia. Uh. Yeah, you have those other examples in four. Yeah. That's what Greg was thinking of. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you had something? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I, I met yesterday and, and then I asked, um, but I'll, I'll expound. Like, um, I, I would find it useful if there was, like, a recording or a diary of, like, a GM mm. and his group, and, like, this is how we did it, and then just to kind of see, like, oh, this guy was good, but then the one guy comes up with the totally thing that you have to wedge in, and it doesn't, and then how did he handle it, and he gives an example of how he brought things in and just kind of having like this living example of how somebody created played out a game sounds like you want to do a podcast dude yeah I know that we're doing some tutorial videos they're still in the works we've got some good scripts ready up for those and uh, Jeff Tidball our COO at Atlas is uh, working with um, Renee Kneif uh, over in uh, now in Seattle she's yep, there now in Seattle uh, they're working on tutorial videos so you can see how certain mechanics work, but I think there's something to the idea of having a, you know, episodic, um, podcast thing because there's a lot of. That's something I'm doing for an entirely different game. Um, are you familiar with Termination Shock? Oh, no, I'm not. Okay, um, I have this science fiction game that I'm just sort of noodling around with and I, uh, kickstarted funding to record the sessions of it. Uh, you know, which are basically playtest sessions. And uh, so I've got uh, five or six of those up now. Uh, they're free to download on SoundCloud. And uh, each one is just, you know, a recording of us playing the game and showing how things go and how things work and, you know, bumbling through the setting. Uh, and it, what was fascinating about that one, where you're talking about how, you know, the left field thing, the wildness again is that I had given these players the idea that, okay, you are basically the poor... You live on Mars, which is the slum of the solar system, and, you know, you aren't allowed to have the technology <laughs> that will allow you to make your brain super powerful, and, you know, you're constantly getting picked on by these artificial intelligences from deep space, and the ex-humans living on Earth won't let you go there, and it's kind of this rough, hard-scrabble existence, and they're like, oh, okay, we want to be like the brothers on uh, on Frasier. <laughs> and it's brilliant it is I'm like I, I love the fact that I have these characters who are half Han Solo and half Niles Crane it's, that is that is the most bizarre thing I've heard in a long time listen to the podcast it's lovely <laughs> but no I, I would I would love more actual plays I would love yes. to try the game out on Twitch uh, and so on streaming services that's where I'm hoping to, to see people will do it um, a couple of people have actually offered to do that but it's a they've got like about nine different things in front of their yeah. list already so. there it is so we're oh, uh, oh. Kind of response. I don't know about if they have uh, campaign generation but the um 
the RPPR crew mm-hmm. did, yep. I think, three yep. episodes that are of uh, some of the pre-written adventures. What, what did you call that? The RPPR role-playing role role play public radio? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. They, don't do, they don't do campaign generation. It's all free yeah. And I think... What's the one called? Sit Down and Play, I think it is. Um, or Shut Up and Play, Sit Down and Shut Up. Sit Down and Shut Up. Yeah. Yeah, they've got a copy of the game, and they and one of their um, producer folks was really, really into them playing that. So that if it hasn't already happened, it's going to happen. So that's kind of the example I was that there are people who are actually well. pretty influential who have these things. So um, yeah, so uh, that's pretty much wrapping up our time. If there's one more quick question you may want to ask Greg before he's released to the wilds, yes, over there. You have a group with me, We've got. I'm I'm at the Atlas booth. Um, so we've got unknown armies there. Uh, my novel I did not print out. It, you you can buy it print on demand at uh, Drive Through Fiction. 